and we've seen this like really really good teams they're they're trying to maintain eight ten different martech solutions and they simply have kind of given up trying to to push their vision because they just can't keep up with the demand of things coming in so they've basically been turned into uh, a glorified call center and they're trying to manage an overwhelming number of calls that they simply can't take and so Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. set and ready to to go so what is going on now i I gotta tweak with all my settings now since i like tried to drag this mic outside and now it feels like it's not anyway i tried to record outside it's super uh nice kind of that fall blue skies but i i couldn't make it work so i'm back in the office yeah it's definitely nice here today i got yeah uh, we got the windows open yeah, it's definitely a windows open, sit outside kind of day. Um, yeah. And I didn't watch the. Uh, did you watch the Apple uh, event? Uh, I saw highlights. I was traveling okay. this week, so I didn't. I just saw the the bits and pieces of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I didn't. I didn't watch it either. But I'm having a hard time, and I know correlation, causation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm having a hard time believing that my iPhone. What it, does it use? Like the lightning connect? I don't know what it uses. Lightning connector or something or yeah. something. I don't know. Like two weeks ago, this thing became a beast to charge. Like I have to set it on the desk, delicately plug it in, and walk away. Like if I breathe on it wrong, it stops charging. So I got to uncook the cable, plug it back in. I'm like, this can't be coincidence. Come on. No. Um, <laughs> do this because it happened to me. Get a paper clip and straighten yeah. it out and clean out the port. Oh, dust, is that it? Dust, you know, if especially if the if the lightning connector, you don't hear it or feel it click in. Oh yeah, it doesn't click. It oh, just like okay, it's so, sloppy. It feels sloppy. Yeah, no, that that's that's exactly what happened to mine because every little thing, it would fall out. Like yeah. I thought I would have it charging, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, you kind of got to get in there and clean out that port. You'll okay. find a bunch of. Uh, lint from like you know keeping it in your pocket or dust or whatever yeah. I bet you that's what's going to what it's okay. going to be alright well I'll take a look at that after we record yeah and not have to buy a new $8,000 phone I know I know like well I'm I'm actually going to be picking up a phone soon <laughs> um, so like at this point I've dropped this thing a couple times it actually is maybe hard to see here it's, it's actually bent like, oh yeah, no, it's I curved. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's curved at this point because I've dropped it a couple times, mm. and it's the iPhone SE, so it, it's definitely starting to uh, feel its age a bit. Yeah. Uh, because at the time I was like, because what happened when this one was my son was a baby and he was holding the phone and dropped it and like dropped it right at the right spot so the cr- screen completely mm. went dead. So I had to get a phone. And I'm like, I am not getting something super expensive at the moment. So I just I picked up the lowest end one because I just needed a phone. Yeah. And I don't do anything super high end on it. 
but like I've been holding out for a bit because yeah, the same thing, the charging was going, but I cleaned that out. But at this point, the whole back is shattered. I'm, I'm waiting for like the battery at this point to break. Is your battery, has your battery life like significantly deteriorated? Yes. Um, like to the point where I had a backup battery with me on my trip this week, Mm. because at this point your boarding pass is on your phone and this is on your phone. That's on your phone. Um, like I had to keep that on me to make sure I had a had a charge as I was traveling because where um, I had a layover. So even if I was sitting there tooling around on my phone on the first flight, I need to make sure I was charging up to get on my ne- on the next one. Mm. But what's cool, and I did it yesterday coming home. You know, I'm going to geek out about the Apple Watch again. We did that a couple episodes ago. Um, I I checked into my flight, loaded the boarding pass into my Apple Wallet which then there's a wallet app on the phone and scanned my watch. I'm sorry, an Apple wallet app on the watch, which Mm. is in sync with your phone. So if you add something on your phone, it shows up on the watch and then it gave me the, the, the code to scan on my watch. So I walk up and just put the phone, uh, the watch out. They scan the watch and walk right onto the plane. That's awesome. Yeah. Look at you all. Yeah. Some Friday afternoon, uh, Friday (laughs) afternoon, geeking out over technology. I'm going to say like, I, I fought the Apple Watch for so long, but it's I'm getting sucked in, man. I'm getting yeah. sucked in because also, like, I had my phone. I would put I was listening to podcasts while I was flying, and I had that in the the seat pocket, and I was adjusting it all from the watch, mm, adjusting mm-hmm. the volume, changing episodes, doing all that stuff right from the watch. Nice. You're all in on it. I am at this point. I'm a sucker. <laughs> it's all good. All good. But um, you know, let, let's let's use that actually as our pivot point for for our, our topic today. And we we've been talking about running analytics organizations or kind of some of the positions those that where maybe they're not in the direct day to day of running an analytics org, but it's within their purview. It, it, it's part of their or, analytics is part of their organization. You know, talking about, you know, some of the features, geeking out about features on the watch or the phone or whatnot. I, I want to talk a bit about the software an analytics org can can accumulate. And in last week's episode, we talked a bit about the difference between a data org and an analytics org and where the analytics team should sit and everything that kind of comes as being part of an analytics team. Um, and in fact, actually this week, the, the travel I was doing, I was visiting a client for a couple of days and the, the director um, we're working with, we were talking a bit about the, this one team in particular and they were just labeled analytics. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking about like, what do they actually do? And because just giving them a generic name like that makes it too broad and people aren't sure exactly what they do. So in that same in that same vein with an analytics organization they accumulated a lot of software a lot of tools so we do what like if our tools we do we do we <laughs> like our tools we like our features and in some cases like they work really really well and we use them every day or maybe we use them on a regular basis maybe not every day other times we get these features and then they just sit and they're not used and they start to decay and you don't know it until someone asks about it so yeah. I want to ask the question today for someone who's in that like senior manager, director, senior VP kind of role where analytics is part of the organization. 
we have all of the software, but we don't know how to use it. What do we do? Um, so as kind of introing that question too, or kind of preparing to hand it off to you, I know our listeners are tired of hearing us beating this to death, but we're going to mention it at the start of this episode. We have observed over the last two to three years at this point, um, teams that were decimated during the COVID pandemic that have not gone back to the budget levels they were at before, the staffing levels they were at before, while all other parts of the organization have. So now they're left over with all these tools, all of this tech debt that people don't know what to do with. What does somebody do when they realize they have all of these tools, all of the software, and they don't know what to do with it? How do they weed through all of that? And then how do they prevent themselves from getting back into that position? Is the question we don't know how to use it or is the question we don't know how to maximize the usage of it? And and maybe it's maybe it's both, right? It's both. It's what do we do? Yeah. So um, I definitely think that there there are two two challenges Um, and it really comes down to people being the problem slash solution to the challenges. Um, You know, we've. We, we've we've purchased a lot of tools and we keep referencing the martech landscape slide and it's going to continue to exponentially explode um when i when i first started um in this space 2004 2005 you know i was working with some really big name clients and they had an analytics tool they had maybe a survey tool and probably a paid ads tool, and that was it. There was no, there was no optimization tools. There was no, you know, screen replay, session replay, playback. There was no fifty thousand separate marketing tags and tool. And not to say that we haven't added a lot of really valuable things, but it was much a much simpler time back then. And the teams that were small back then, you know, it was two thousand three or four when Avinash wrote his. Uh, 1090 rule um, about spending on people versus tools. That was 20 years ago. (laughs) And the teams were still small way back then. But we had much less tool overhead to have to deal with. So we could invest time in truly building expertise through direct learning, using the tools, self-study, education provided by vendors or others in the industry. It It was a mountain that we could conquer. But now fast forward 20 years, the team sizes are the exact same as they were back in 2003. Um, But now the teams, instead of having one or two tools to manage, they have 200 tools to manage. If we think about, you know, all of the marketing tags and the data layer tools and this and that and the helper functions and the plugins in Chrome and it, it's overwhelming. So the simple fact that we have a small team being asked to manage a huge set of tools. We're not even talking about the outputs of those tools. We're talking about just the day-to-day managing, making sure these tools keep running. We shouldn't be surprised that it's difficult to really know how to use the tools. Like, how do we how do we have the time? How does a two or three person team for a very large enterprise, or even a two or three person team for a small company that's probably wearing, you know, 10 to 15 different hats, how can we expect them to truly understand how to to use these tools. And what ends up happening is is that 
issue of not having time to truly become incredibly knowledgeable about the tools, it actually creates a bigger problem in and of itself. We don't understand the tools. We don't have the time to truly learn them. So what do we do to fix that problem? We buy more tools. We buy more tools. Uh, and so it's this, you know, it's this problem that is just building upon itself. Um, and rather than taking a step back and thinking about investing more on the people side, building out larger teams, um, prioritizing time for, for members of the team for continuous education and learning, we're not doing that. And so the natural inclination is to solve these problems we're having about not being able to master the tools we've bought, we'll just go out and buy more tools. And rarely have I seen that be or have a positive outcome for any organization. And, and it's not positive for, for a couple different reasons. One, it, it adds tech debt because there's nothing more permanent than a pilot of a marketing tool. Because in some way or another, remnants stay there or it just stays in place. Um, but... And where was I going to go with this? Oh, the other problem is what I've seen happen too is, is you run into this cycle of the, let, let, let's try the next tool and let's try the next tool because it's, it starts out with this, there's a solution, let's find a problem for it. Well, there was no real problem. So this solution doesn't work, but we still need a tool like this. So let's try the next vendor and the next vendor and the next vendor. So your team gets stuck in the cycle of, constantly implementing and trying and not mastering the tools that they already have and use on that daily or weekly or monthly basis. Yeah. And, and again, I think that being in a position to understand how to use those tools, you have to invest the time and we need to prioritize not just using the tools, but, but maximizing our understanding and usage of those tools that's the way in in my mind to break this this vicious cycle. I, I can compare it. You can see I've got my two different machines here. I've got my pour over setup in the background and my espresso machine back there. Um, like I think a lot of hobbies we get into, it's really easy to buy things to solve problems. Um, and whether you're into coffee or music or records or whatever, it's really easy to just buy stuff. There's so much gear and gadgets, right? I'm like, I have this, I have to have this naked filter because this is going to make better coffee. And it might, but until you put in the work to truly push the tools you have to the limits, you're buying something new isn't necessarily going to make you like buying a new pedal for my guitar isn't going to magically make me into a better guitar player. Um, but the magic is putting in your time to really know those tools inside and out to intimately understand them. And so then when it's time to buy a different tool or to upgrade my espresso machine to something else, I'm able to make an incredibly informed decision because I have put that thing to its you know test. I have pushed it to its extreme. I know what works, what doesn't. I know what I want in my next purchase because I've tried it and pushed it and studied it. And that's really how we should look at our MarTech, MarTech stack as well. You know, we, we already have all these tools in there. We don't need more tools. What we need to do is push each of those tools we've already made an investment into the max 
so we can truly understand what we need. And rather than more tools, it's we should probably pare things down to just the most elite tools that fit our needs. And maybe we need to go out and buy one. But chances are you probably already have those in-house. They're just not getting the love. They're kind of thrown away in the drawer and neglected because something new came along. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we're talking about buying new tools and you just talked about the coffee thing, before we jumped on here, I was listening to a podcast and much like us, they kind of have like the, the inane banter at the beginning before actually getting into the topic. And the one guy was talking about how he bought a, uh, a new smoker and then went out and got this and this and this and all the accessories. And he was kind of saying it tongue in cheek, like, yeah, I probably bought a lot of stuff I don't need or not going to use, but hey, it would look like a great accessory or a great thing to go to go along with it. And so for those listening that think that this problem of overbuying or having all of these tools that they half use or may not even use at this point and the implementation is decaying, this problem is not unique to you, but also those on the other end that are like, oh, we don't have this problem. <laughs> no, Everybody you do. Has Everybody problem. has this problem. This is just human yeah. nature. Yeah. Like we're, we're talking about a human nature problem where the next tool, and this is why infomercials are so good. Mm -hmm. uh, the late night infomercials are so good because this, I just need this next tool. I'm going to become a better runner if I buy the, you know, buy the next version of the sneaker that they just put out. Or if I buy this brand over that brand, I'm going to be better at it or whatever. Uh, this is, this is a human nature problem. It, it is. Um, and it, you, you're, you're right. It, it, it impacts everything we do both professionally, uh, and personally, um, and, and again, it's, I think the first thing to do is admit that this is a challenge. If we're unable to admit that's a challenge, then it's really difficult to, to address it. And then you ask the question, you know, how, how, but how do we figure out how to use these tools and, and put, put them to, to the test? It's that we have to first admit, okay, this is a challenge. You know, it's going to be difficult. We're going to see a new, you know, commercial, or we're going to get pitched by a, slick talking executive from a SaaS vendor and we're going to be really tempted it's like oh that's going to get us where we need to be but really the path to making this successful we've talked about this on previous episodes number one this has nothing to do with technology or tools we have to understand why we're doing what we do like what what are we trying to solve for and and that may sound like a, a silly question but how many times have we talked to people and said like well, why does your analytics organization exist? Why do you do what you do? Huh. I don't know. No one's ever asked us that question before. Um, and so if we don't have a clear idea of what we're doing and what we're solving for, how are we ever to buy tools or maximize tools if we don't actually even know what we're solving for? And again, I know that sounds like, what do you mean? Like we all know, we don't. You know, we have to take a step back and say, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to solve for? What do we want our organization to stand for? And then let's build everything else around it to, to support that. And once you have that, then you can start putting these tools to the test. And I am not anti-buying new tools. I am just anti-buying new tools when you don't know why you're buying a new tool other than, to your point, while well, the infomercial was you know really compelling. And I, I truly believe when you put in the work, when you're deliberate about leveraging these tools, one, you're probably going to find that the tool does way more than you thought it could and you don't need a new tool. Or if you determine you do need a new tool, you are in such a better place, a more informed place because you've tried it. 
You've tried to hack it. You've tried to bend it. You've run into challenges and you know exactly what you want in your next next purchase. You know, think about, again, like anything you've continually upgraded, you know, from maybe your first car to the car you have now. You learn things as you drive it, as you put it in different scenarios and tests. So when you go to buy your next car, you're like, okay, I remember those things. So these features are really, really important to me. You have to put in the work and gain that experience with these tools to ever be in a position to know what it is you're buying and why. And I think because we don't put in that work, that's why we have no one else to blame but ourselves for getting into this tech deb because we don't know why we're buying new tools other than we think it's going to solve our problems. It just adds to our problems and ultimately becomes unmanageable. And what do we do? Okay, well, that's too hard. We'll quit. We'll go find a we'll go find a cleaner canvas to start uh, working on somewhere else. Yeah, um, you know what I thought uh, you know thought of as you were kind of going through all of that. Uh, you know, what are we trying to solve for, um, and making sure also you put these things through paces. I thought of part of Jen's presentation from the Marketing Analytics Summit, where she gave a great personal example where um, she and her husband were looking for a new car for the family. And one of the reasons they needed it is, is because with their two existing cars, they didn't have all wheel drive and they need that going forward. So they start going and looking at things and, um, you know, taking test drives and looking at different models and going to different dealerships. And they come down to three cars that they really liked all of these different features that they had. And then all of a sudden they had this moment of clarity where, all, uh, with all three vehicles, none of them had all-wheel drive. What started the whole search was a specific feature, and what they whittled it down to, didn't. none of them had that feature. So they kind of had to scrap everything and start all over again because they got distracted mm-hmm. with and the bells so and whistles. it's so easy to do. So it is easy. very easy to do. Um, when I was on my trip this week, yeah, I definitely got some some gear envy. Um, <laughs> got, got some gear envy. Um uh, one of the guys there drove me a couple places and had a brand new truck. Now, granted, I got my truck a year and a half ago, and I love my truck. Mm-hmm. But some of the features this newer one had, with like some of the parking assist and some of the other mm-hmm. stuff, I'm like, God, like it was just, <laughs> it was nice. It was a really nice truck. Like it had this parking assist where, you know, you flip it on and the big screen in the middle. Uh, in the console, because all the cars now are coming with the big screen in the mm-hmm. console there, it switched this overhead view and showed you, you know, how in alignment you were with the parking lines mm. for the for the the lines for the parking spot. Um, it had a back bench, so it had this feature on the mirror where it would go from being a rear view mirror to being a screen with a camera. So this mm. way, the person sitting in the middle of the bench didn't block your view. Mm. Uh, all of these different things, and I'm like. yeah it's nice but like you get distracted by all of those features and yeah i would like them i don't have an immediate need for them right now and nor can i justify the cost for a new vehicle but i digress well no i mean but i think it's a it's a very pertinent point because um and not to say that all these features aren't great and for certain use cases they're absolutely you know optimal um but it's it's what it what it's what distracts us from what we're actually trying to solve for. Now, there may be some cases where those specific features are the absolute thing that's driving the decision. But for most, it's just like a value add. It's it's something compelling. 
I remember back to the early days of, of Omniture. The, you know, even then, the platform was incredibly powerful. Do you know what sold a lot of the engagements? Consulting? No, no. Part of the product. The... Is it... Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, sales reps love showing the click map, and it was buggy. And it didn't work well, and it and 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 lots of us at Omniture hated it because just the data was so suspect. But they showed that like back in the day, like if you would see it now, you would laugh at the at the heat map that it produced. But they showed that to executives, and our executives was like, "Oh, I need that backup camera. You know, that's what I need." I'm like, wait a minute, the engine, like the powertrain, like all this. No, 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 not backup cameras. What I'm gonna buy, and that's what sold it. Right. Um, and so I, I think that continues today. And again, not that those features aren't useful, but oftentimes they tend to distract from the larger conversation of, but does the underlying guts of the product itself meet, meet my needs? Um, and, and so I think, again, just having an awareness that as humans, we tend to get really distracted by, you know, the backup camera and the click map and, you know, this little feature, but is that really the most compelling reason why we're buying it? Is that what we really, really need? And in some instances, we end up buying like the most flashy thing with every, do you remember the Simpsons episode uh, where his, was it his brother was a car designer and he yeah, partnered it's with season Homer. one or season two. Yeah. And you remember the car that Homer came up with Yeah, <laughs> and it like, the, the and it, like was, yeah, it was like all like kids. the cool. And then it was a complete flop. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's what happens a lot of times with our, our MarTech is we end up buying the solution, which was the Homer car with every cool feature and gadget, but it's so overwhelming and unusable that sometimes for me, sometimes I love going back and driving my Jeep JK, you know, Wrangler. It's so simple. You know, everything's almost totally manual. There's only a few buttons in the whole thing. And it's so refreshing just to drive something that has a purpose of going from A to B and being able to drive over big objects, you know? So, like, I, I think, you know, you're taking a step back and decluttering a bit from all the features to remembering why we're buying these solutions to begin with is a is really a critical first step, you know, to, to your point. Like, am I buying the truck because it has all these fancy backup features and cameras or am I buying the truck because I need something that's going to be reliable and have hauling capacity and you know kind of those core things if not you may walk away with a super cool truck that has a bed that you can't even fit you know a small little desk from Ikea in the truck in the bed back bed you know so it's a complete failure even though it has all these cool fancy kind of gadgets and gizmos that it comes with and I'll add something to that it's the can I afford it um, because I also saw something, uh, a couple weeks ago where they were talking about the average length of car loans. Like it used to be a big thing. If you took out like a five year car loan, you know, people either leased for three years or had a three year loan. They're talking like car loans are going seven, eight. It's years crazy, now. right? It's insane because oh. people are buying it and not being able to afford it. So how do we correlate that or tie that to, um, to MarTech, it's the, do we have the people to staff it? Do we not just have a need and that this thing 
this tool provides a solution for, do we have a problem that this solves? It's, can we afford it? Um, and do we have the people to operate it? Yeah. And yeah, and we've talked about that a lot. I remember, I don't know how many years ago, I gave a talk at one of the Observe Point events about the importance of maintenance, you know, this overlooked thing. And the, the whole kind of um, point of the presentation was, are you buying things that you can't afford to maintain? And again, the common theme here that we're talking about in our conversation today is things that are very human nature. You know, how many times have, you know, you seen people, maybe yourself have bought things like a car, a house, a property. It's like, well, we can afford to buy the thing, but we can't afford to maintain it. You know, how many people have got into a really nice big house, they could afford the payment of the house, but they couldn't afford when the air conditioner went out. You know, they couldn't afford when they had to replace all the carpet and when the roof came due, you know, so are we buying things? And a lot of times we are in MarTech. Are we buying things that we don't have the ability, skill-wise, people-wise, or the budget to maintain? And if we can't commit to maintaining it, we, we shouldn't be buying it. Because we've seen, again, we can just look at examples in our personal life. The same things happen in our professional life in MarTech. If we buy something and we don't commit to maintaining that thing, doesn't matter how well built it is it will instantly start to degrade. Mother Nature is undefeated at, at making things fall apart that are not consistently maintained. Oh yeah, the minute water gets into something, you're hosed. I, it, 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 it's bad. So to kind of bring us back to where we started with this conversation and kind of looking maybe at a bit more of a specific example of say maybe um, Jason, you know, put your, put your analytics director hat on, your analytics VP hat on, you have a team that still hasn't recovered from the COVID pandemic and you're getting a sense that maybe they're overwhelmed with the amount of tools that they have, or there's just been attrition with the team and the skill set isn't there. Like what are some of the first signs that you're going to see that are going to confirm that hunch? I think it's, it's, it's looking for signs of burnout in the team. Um, it's seeing a team that has gone from maybe being very proactive to being highly reactionary. I think those are, are really strong signals that there is, is something wrong. And we've seen this like really, really good teams. They're, they're trying to maintain eight, 10 different MarTech solutions. And they simply have kind of given up trying to, to push their vision because they just can't keep up with the demand of things coming in. So they've basically been turned into a glorified call center and they're trying to manage an overwhelming number of calls that they simply can't take. And so if, if you see your team showing signs of burnout, if you've seen your team transitioning from maybe being incredibly proactive in providing insights, analysis, being proactive in keeping ahead of maintaining an implementation, a data layer, and now we're just in reactionary mode. Hey, this is fixed. This is broken. Hey, this data is no longer being collected. Hey, we need you to deploy X. Hey, when is this going to get done? That's a major sign that the team is incredibly overwhelmed, that they can't maintain the solutions are in place. And so if you're in that mode, how are you ever going to learn how to use the tools and maximize the tools? Right? Like you can't, if you're in constant first responder mode, you can't focus on anything than stopping the bleeding. So how can we think about getting smarter and better those tools? It's, it is impossible. And so I think that's an important 
thing to think about as a leader of these teams. If you're hearing this like, yeah, I really want to push my team to get smarter about these tools that we've bought and really make sure we're pushing them to the extreme of what they can do. If you don't address the workload of what they're being asked day to day, and a lot of times the asks are not very nice asks, they're, hey, you know, I'm going to yell at you until you get this done. If you don't address that first, you're just piling more weight on top of the team and it's it's not going to go over well. And so while your, your perspective is correct that we really need to double down on learning and becoming experts at the tools we've bought, if you don't create a safe place to do that by freeing up time where they have the opportunity to learn and actually use the tools, you may end up creating more harm than, than doing than doing good. And so I think that's a critical component for us to, to fix as we're talking about um, really understanding the tools we've bought. Um, and so in order to do that, we need to take inventory. What Like what tools, again, it may sound simple, but it's it's probably not what tools have we bought what are we responsible for who are the key stakeholders map it out and and sometimes we need to have some tough conversations and say no which I, a lot of us in the in the digital analytics space have a very hard time saying no to so we say yes to everybody but by saying yes to everybody everybody suffers including ourselves so you know, as, especially as leadership, we need to get a bit more comfortable in saying, you know, no to things like, look, I, I understand that this is important for you. I understand this is a priority, but in order for us to deliver quality, insightful solutions to what you're looking for, there are things we have to say no to unless we get a bigger budget, a better, bigger team. You know, we, we, we have to be realistic and unfortunately we haven't. And so we're kind of the architects of our own undoing because we've said yes to everything there's no way we can master these tools and if we can't master these tools there's no way we're going to be able to provide the value that the business uh our business stakeholders and partners are expecting of us yeah and you bring up an interesting point about having the hard decisions because i think you're right like the gut reaction is to push harder and um, push for, for work to get done or to even start placing blame on why things aren't getting done. And I think part of those hard decisions, um, is like, what tools do we have to cut? Like that, that's my thought kind of coming into a situation like this. If the team is overwhelmed by the number of things that are in use, part of that inventory is, is like, are we actually using this or do we think we're using it? Or is it really just a nice to have to say we have it? Um, that's gotta be part of the evaluation is, is what do we got to cut? Yeah. What do we have to cut? What do we have to change? And again, we have to accept that the status quo isn't working. Like we may be convincing ourselves that we can work harder, right? We can do all this stuff, but there are points where we have to admit that within this paradigm, it isn't working and we have to make some fundamental changes. Is it paring down our, the number of products we offer, the number of services we offer, the number of tools we support? Have you ever been to like a local fast food restaurant? Maybe it's late at night or something, or maybe they're short staffed for a reason and there's one person trying to run the register and cook the food and take the food out. I, I, I've seen that more than once. And is it ever a good experience for anyone? 
it's a horrible experience for the employee. It's a horrible experience for the customer, but that's what we're doing, right? We're saying, okay, you're one person. You have to take the order. You have to then run in the back, cook the food. Then you have to, you know, put the food on the plate. Then you have to take it out to the dining room and hand it to the customer, then run back to the register. And when you have time, you have to clean the floors and clean the bathroom because it's getting dirty. It's, it's impossible, but that's what we're asking our analytics teams to, to do. Yeah. And you bring up a good point there. Like, a part of where part of my mind went with um, going to restaurants and part of the problem there is like, have you also been to one of those restaurants, Cheesecake Factory is known for this, for having this massive menu and you just can't make a choice because it's, oh, I like that and I like that. And if I get that, am I going to regret not getting that? Um, you get overwhelmed. And uh, I mean, for all his flaws, one of the things Steve Jobs was really good about was simplifying things, mm-hmm. was trimming the product line and and forcing his teams to produce products that were leaner and simpler. And yes, I do think there was definitely a bit of planned obsolescence baked in there. I am not going to look look at this without acknowledging that, but that's a whole other topic for a whole other day. Uh, where I'm going with this, though, is is when he first came back to Apple, one of the first things he did was slash the product offering. He, in his mind, it had become way too complicated, way too many options. It became very much like the Cheesecake Factory menu, and there was so much for people to choose from, they didn't know what to pick from. And um, at the same time, one of the reasons why Dell took over the, the the personal computer market is that not only was it they they, they really fine-tuned their supply chain for just-in-time delivery, they simplified their offering. Or they kind of had a section for those people that really wanted to geek out and configure their computer, but they also really pushed to the forefront for your average computer buyer at the time, think 98, 99, 2000. Um, they, they simplified it so that um, there was built built-in configurations that people could easily choose from without getting overwhelmed by all of the configuration choices. And if you know, sticking with the cheesecake example, uh, cheese, the cheesecake factory example, there was another restaurant that Hila and I went and had. Hey, yeah, I got to yeah. guess this time. That's Jason. Say hi to Jason. <laughs> I think someone's ready for his nap. They were out yeah. this morning. Nice. Um, yeah, so sticking with the Cheesecake Factory example, and there was a restaurant that Hila and I had breakfast at in Vegas. That well, It wasn't a Cheesecake Factory, but it was very similar. Like I think the menu was like 12 or 14 pages. It was so overwhelming. But let's bring it back to like analytics teams. If you have a 12 or 14 page menu, what is the likelihood that every item on there is going to be world class good? Not, not probably zero. (laughs) Like for, you know, hopefully they're all pretty mediocre and average and hopefully they're not bad, but a menu of 12, 12 pages of food, there's no way that you can have a menu of 12 pages of food that is going to be incredible. And that's why some of these really high end restaurants and some of the best, most raved about food in the world, these restaurants just do a couple things, you know? And, and it may change. They may have seasonal menus, but it's like we do a couple things. We do it really well. I think, you know, think of Jiro on the Jiro, you know, Dreams of Sushi. Like he has like a couple different types of nigiri and that's it. 
You know, there's a reason why you can hate it all you want, but you're but you're on the East Coast. But there's a reason why In and Out is as is as successful as they are. Like a super simple menu. It's like we do these few things. Um, there's a there's a restaurant here that's kind of expanded to multiple locations, but um, I started going to it when it was just in like a shack that you could buy from Home Depot that they built, like a, a little shed. They served. Uh, it's called J Dogs, and there's a lot of locations now in Utah. But you know what they serve? Hot dog. What do you want? That was it. We have a hot dog. That's all you can get here. Hot dog. But they made it really, really good because like that's all we serve, and so. I think it's a very pertinent visual for our, our analytics teams. Do we want to have, you know, do we want to be the high-end, you know, French laundry, you know, Michelin-starred restaurant that we have, we may not have like a 14-page menu and we may only have a handful of things you can choose from, um, but those things we, we do have, all of them are going to be of the highest level of quality. I mean, that's what that's the decision we're making as analytics teams when we try to support, you know, 14 pages of MarTech solutions. They're probably all going to be pretty average, mediocre results. Some probably really poor. Are we okay with that? Maybe. But I would much rather have far fewer items on the menu for our analytics teams. But the items we do have on the menu, we do really, really well because that makes a difference that makes an impact that creates memories that people are going to come back and be like, wow, I remember when I worked with this analytics team, they were amazing. Anyway, literal, yeah, I, literal food for thought here. I, I saw this article the other day that I was reading and it, it talked about a bit about the, um, you know, the phrase don't sweat the small stuff. And yes, there, there's cases for it, but it was making the case that in this case that in certain situations, sweating the small stuff is everything because that's when you get the, the, the refined approach to something. We've talked about Apple's products and the, you know, the packaging for it and all of the little details are there. And the same thing here, you can't worry about the small details when your team is dealing with a stack of 20 tools that they maintain. And if the team still hasn't recovered headcount wise, and other teams have, and there's more requests coming in, that team is going to be spending more time fixing stuff than actually being proactive and using the tool. Like you talked earlier about, you know, really maximizing the tool and making sure you've gotten everything out of it before either upgrading or buying a new tool to replace it or buying a tool to add on. You can't maximize it if you're constantly in fix mode. Yeah. And if you've got a team like that, like you're wasting money, and you're going to cause burnout and employee turnover. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that's a great point to circle back to how we started this off. It's, it's really has to be rooted in why we're doing what we do. Do we have a team that's trying to support 40 different MarTech products? That might be okay if our purpose is to be like an assembly line and just crank stuff out, you know, that's average quality that, you know, isn't going to be a great experience, is going to break a lot, but that's what the business expects and wants. That can be successful, but you have to know why you're doing that. Again, I don't think most people that have gotten into that situation have done it um, deliberately. They've done it because when you don't have a purpose, when you're not grounded in a purpose, it's really easy to get, you know, tossed around by the waves. You know, whatever the hottest, newest thing is, it's super easy to be knocked off balance. 
But if you have a purpose, and if our purpose is, hey, we we don't want to do everything for everybody in the organization. We want to do these three things with data and do them better than anyone else. Then that should help define your strategy, define your software purchasing strategy, define where you're investing in knowledge and training. Again, like we're talking about maximizing the tools we have, overbuying, underbuying, but really all of this has nothing to do with technology or tools. It has to start with do we understand why we're doing what we do as an analytics organization? And then using that as our foundation to figure out what our strategy is for buying tools, for investing in becoming experts in tools. That makes all the difference. Yeah. And this is just one of multiple reasons why, um, like, the the buying and whatnot. All, I, I'm seeing a lot of organizations, too, being pushed to understand why. Because it was so much easier five, six years ago to just say we're doing analytics. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, doing analyt- doing is vague. And analytics itself is vague. But it was just so easy to say, we're doing analytics, we're using analytics, we have analytics in place. People are like, great, we've got it. But now, um, and yeah, it, it was starting to happen before the pandemic, but the pandemic absolutely escalated it. People are asking why. Yeah. Why are we doing this? What is the purpose? You know, can we justify the budget for all of this? So yeah, knowing why is critical to all of this. Because then, to your point of, knowing why that will help provide discernment when it comes to purchasing. But I also think it helps with making the hard decisions of what do we keep and what do we cut? Yeah. Because that's one thing analytics teams do not do no matter their size, whether they've got more than enough people to service everything that they're doing, or if they're understaffed, they don't go back and look at what's been done and clean up. There's no spring cleaning. There's (laughs) no, there's none of that. Yeah. It's a it's a really powerful message, um, and you're right. And I, I was talking to someone just I think on Wednesday, a couple of days ago, um, and they asked, you know, what has been the biggest change over the last five years you've seen in the analytics industry? And I said, five years ago, it was okay to check a box that you were quote doing analytics. That is no longer okay today. You know, we've and and to your point, like it was happening gradually. The pandemic sped it up, but we're there now. Like it is no longer okay not to have a purpose and a reason why you exist and organizations uh, that are just checking the box that we're doing analytics are not going to be around much longer. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a good episode. Let's go ahead and wrap up there. Um, I think it's, it definitely, the, the trend of a lot of our conversations recently has come back to why a lot of the conversations here on the podcast, but that's what we're seeing. We're seeing organizations needing to justify budget, needing to justify headcount, and to the point of like needing to justify existence. Why are we doing this? If you take nothing else away from this episode, again, we talked about tools and maximizing tools, but that's the biggest takeaway. Like, if we don't know why, you've got some homework to do. Like, we really need to understand why we exist as an organization. Yep. Couldn't agree more. So cool. Let's go ahead and wrap up there for for this week. And we'll talk to everybody later. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com 
or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.